It's Saturday morning. That means it's time for Mike Onesco's Renegade Rock here on the Rogue Radio Podcast Network, bringing all the great tunes to you every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we've added interviews the first Saturday of every month. We have David Reese up and running. We have J. Jesse Johnson up and running. We have Ainsley Dunbar up and running. We have Bobby Caldwell up and running. Davey Patterson. And today we have a very special guest, the founder of Shrapnel Records, my mentor, Mr. Michael Varney. Welcome to Renegade Rock. That's crazy. That was probably 1978 or 79. Isn't that nuts? And at the time, you weren't really a singer. No, I was just playing guitar. It was me and Jeff Pilsen, you know, who I just saw with Porter on this last weekend. He was just great. I know. He's touring with all the great bands. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was in Dawkins. And didn't he do Ringo's All-Star Band also at one point? You know, I never heard about that. Yeah, I never heard about that. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. Well, he'd be the perfect guy to do that. When I met him, I was just amazed at how talented he was. He had a Mellotron and... That was what a great project that was. I, I remember coming to the church and auditioning for cinema, and Jeff Pilson was there to put me through a vocal audition, and I couldn't even sing. I was so embarrassed. Well, yeah, I mean, you had the guitar thing down. You were perfect. You looked great. You know what? I take that back. I forgot that I met you in 1976. Old studio, right? Gino and Alex. How old were you then? The eight, the eight tens, yeah. Oh yes, yes. Oh, I couldn't sing. It was hor- I was horrible. <laughs> exactly, you're right. I'm singing. Right, right, right. Uh, well, thanks, Mike. It was up. To, it was your encouragement that and then and, uh, and did it for me. So, ninety-three. Yeah, ninety-three. <laughs> yeah, the first time I came up, you were uh, doing the Tony Spinner record, and I we met at Cattleman's, and it was you, me, Tony, and his wife. It was at Cattleman's in Nevada. Yeah. So, Mike, are you from, uh, were you born and raised in Nevada, California? No way. I lived in Millbury. Yeah, that's a cool neighborhood. Yeah, right after my first uh, divorce, I moved to Millbury. I was working at a, a place in Millbury, and I loved it down there. It was, like, great. Wife number one. Wife number one. <laughs> John Warmoth. <laughs> So who inspired you when you were a young kid to, to play music? I mean, where, did you have a musical family? Well, you know, uh, I got kind of lucky. I had a cousin, his name was Danny Holiday, and he was a very popular uh, DJ in the Seattle area. Wow, that's cool. And, uh, he was on major, major stations there throughout his career. He would send us packages of vinyl. And my brother actually got me into the music thing first. He got really crazy about it. And then, so I think I started buying records when I was maybe, I think, six years old. Is he your older brother? Yeah, my older brother. And that, that's pretty much all I wanted was, well, you have quite a collection now. Oh, great, great. 
the house all the time. And then um, I uh, asked for a guitar when I was 10 years old and then took lessons. What was your first guitar, your first electric? Oh, gosh, it was a Stella Harmony. Yeah, there you go. We all had those, man. <laughs> oh, those are so rare. They're worth a mint now. I paid 20 bucks for it. No way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you still have it? No. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I used to love that the amps were in the case. That was the coolest thing. Yeah, it's, uh, some companies started making those again, and I bought a few of them just for fun. Were those made by Harmony, the Silvertone guitars? No, no, Dan Electro. Dan Electro, oh. Yeah, they're Dan Electro, so guitar crazy. And so I stumbled onto, I think, Gary Moore when I bought the first Skid Row record, and I didn't even know what it was. I just thought they looked cool, and there were some long songs. Right, right. That was the thing. Long, long songs were the key. It's like, okay, if there's a long song in here, there's got to be some jamming. Right, right. right. It wasn't it wonderful? Yeah, I do too. Records. Yeah, that, that's because I, I always collected records in 1978. Uh, I was, I'm sorry, 1980, 1980 when I started. 
<laughs> right, right, right. And it seems like every time they come out with a new type of music, you know, they'll say, uh, oh, yeah, this is it's Elvis Presley. Then, then there's Pat Boone or whatever. Right, right, right. Exactly. And then, the Stones, then there's Freddie and the Dreamers. There's always somebody that, that takes something. The, the next big thing, right. Lighter with it and tries to, you know, uh, you know kind of soften it. That happened with punk rock. Punk rock got, got softened. All of a sudden, Blondie's punk rock. But Blondie really was a pop. They pop were definitely a pop band. Definitely. A great, great, great band. And yes. They, they emerged out of the punk scene, so. Anyway, 1980, it was just kind of, there wasn't that much metal happening in the States. And I knew there were all these great players around because I'd played with them and seen a bunch of them. I mean, that was even a time, I think 1980, that might have been probably, I mean, well, why, I think, I think Y&T yesterday and today, I think they had a they had a period of time, I think, between, you know, the, the London album struck down and then when they did a shaker for A&M. I, I played with them when my, my first professional gig as a musician was at Treasure Island at the Enlisted Men's Club. And we, we played there, we had, a, it was a monthly gig. And the other band on the bill all the time was Yesterday and Today when they had a keyboard player and they were just doing cover bands and throwing, throwing in their originals. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so did you, did you um, play more than once with them? Yeah, well, no, we didn't play the same time. They, 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 they we alternated, yeah, the Saturdays and we would show up and hang out with them. Yeah, The germs, I remember them, yeah. <laughs> God, Mike, we're, we're so lucky to grow up and to be participate in the greatest music ever recorded, I, I feel like. I really... Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think our first budget was thirty-six grand for that first Blindside Blues Band record. Twenty rolls of two-inch tape. It sure does. Very small, very small. But they're most are very small. And the problem with that is is that you know, Mike, you gotta rob Peter to pay Paul. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Anybody that make a record on twenty five hundred to five grand is a you know, whiz kid. The thing is though, the artists that are established like yourself, even some that had, you know, hundred and two hundred thousand dollar budgets most of their career, and if they still want to make records, what are they supposed to do? Because there's a lot of a lot of well known artists that don't want to go into somebody's garage and make a record. I know. They made fifteen records at major studios on new consoles with all the best outboard gear. Yeah, I know. Luckily, I haven't had that problem. I've been turning them out nonstop ever since you got me started, man. I'm Adapt. That's why I started this radio show, too. We started the Rogue Radio Podcast Network so I could have something maybe when I can't play anymore, you know? Yeah, right. That's being smart. But other artists, you know, have gotten their own studios. They produce their own records. Uh, some of them 
Right, yeah. What a talent. Yeah, yes, they are. I found that out, believe me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, who cares, right? <laughs> No, they shouldn't have. To me, the you're right. To me, the internet ruined the music business. I think. Not for the fans, right? Right. Pennies on the dollar. Right. Look at that BBB. Our performance on Rock Plast has 800,000 views. What do, what do we get out of it? Nothing. Exposure. Well, it got me it got me four tours in Europe, I, so I, I have to look at it that way. This is Mike Onesco's Renegade Rock. We're talking to rock legend, founder of Shrapnel Records, Mike Varney. And we started off the show playing Angels and Aliens from Pinnock Gales and Pridden. And now we're going to take a break and we're going to do something from Chris Duarte. It's called Something Wicked. And then we'll be right back with Mr. Mike Varney.
takes her pills and her coffee All in a day To thwart my love and try to stop me Love weighs on me Soon I will see My world is crashing down with me But when I see those evil odds that day I knew my world was black When she stole my soul And threw my heart away Once was a time When love reigned in my ways Couldn't pass through my mind The mud and dangerous place Love weighs on me And soon I will see My perfect love is gone from me I smell it in the air I breathe that day That something wicked comes And stole my soul And threw my heart away
my plea Give me your ear, your thoughts and mine I'll place mine here And hope you find a way to please set me free Mike Onesco, Renegade Rock. We're back with Mike Varney on Renegade Rock. Mike, where do we go from here? That was a really good record. I would love to see that, yes. Right, right. We play a lot of shrapnel stuff on uh, Renegade Rock. We do, Mike. I'm playing a lot of shrapnel stuff. That's funny. I thought Magna Carta was just basically the prog label. Tell Mark I play Cairo all the time on the show, by the way. He's so talented. I know. He's, he's cool, man. Hey, the Blues Bureau is a, to me is just as important as Shrapnel. I mean, you put out a lot of great records on that label. My pleasure. Yes, is he uh, still touring around? Now, Mascot, that, why does that sound familiar? I know that name, Mascot. Didn't we? Is that Ed? From Mascot, right, yes. Yeah, very cool label, yeah. 
No, but I I met Ed at the NAM through you one year, and we were trying to f- figure something out, but it never came to pass. I don't. We were just. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been that would have been perfect. So yeah, well, Ed, Ed broke Joe Bonamassa in Europe. Uh, I mean, Joe Bonamassa broke himself in a lot of ways as far as being a label and supporting it. Right. That was Ed. Wow, that's cool. Mascot did, did a great job. So anyway, Mascot, you know, um, Eric Niels was always going to be. I think he'll be the. Well, let's just put it this way. I, <laughs> I don't know anybody else that really can top him, uh, you know, in his in what, in what he does. I, I don't. I, I have to agree with you. I, yeah. So, so he got. I brought him to Mascot originally and did all those records with him. Then when I, I kind of stepped back for a while, he came. Ed, Ed continued on with Eric after Eric went to Cleopatra uh, for a little while, and then Ed came back in and Ed put his uh, muscle behind Eric Gales, who was putting plenty of his own muscle behind himself. And Eric Gales' wonderful wife Ladonna is a great musical partner, and just been really great to watch the two of them take this career. And, and it's a good success story. Eric Gales will have a movie about him one day. You did good, Mike. You did good. Wow. And for you. Well, congratulations to both of you guys. I know, but you, you discovered it, Mike. <laughs> you discovered so many great guitar players. I can't even count them all. It's just amazing. I was so intimidated being on your label because I, I can't play guitar. I mean, I... <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No. Well, I live and breathe cream. You know that. <laughs> and I tell you, when you're on stage and you look next to you and you see Tim Bogard playing next to you, if that doesn't inspire you, nothing will. <laughs> Yeah, it, I know. Yeah. Right, hot and sweaty. Yeah, baby. I know. Jim McCarty, what a great player. You brought some Groovyard stuff? Oh, oh, cool. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's... Yeah, he does. He does. Joe used to send me all these... Before he had the, the label, he used to send me all these tapes when he was just a fan of yours, I think. he was. This is a long time ago. You, you did. And then right after I left, you hooked me up with a guy that hooked me up with Giorgio at Comet Records in Italy, too. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, he's struggling. I, I don't know how he's still staying in business. I, well, we started off with $5,000 budgets, then it went down to 3500 by the time I left. Yeah, Groovyard, yeah. 
out records that there wasn't a home for that deserved to be out. Yeah. He really, he really did something really great for you know a lot of artists, even though it might not have been there wasn't a lot of money for anybody, including him. It was still you know a love of guitar. Doing the music. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying there was no business. I'm just saying it was a different thing. Like for, for me to go to my artist and say, hey, I just now five grand, that would be kind of hard to do. And I would be afraid of what the records would come out like. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. I'd be, I'd be afraid of that. And so, but now, you know, guys like me, we do that and we just churn them out. Joe, Joe figured it out and was able to do great. Uh, you know, uh, and he's also cultivated a really, I think, a pretty strong following of people that like that music. So, he does. So what's the what's the future of Shrapnel Records and Blues Bureau looking like, Mike? I know their catalog is is now owned by the Orchard. By the way, they they are a new distributor for the label I'm on now, Jib Machine. Yeah. Right. Right. You're not going to retire, are you, anytime soon? Right. But Shaker was, was a guitar player that Jason listened to, but wasn't the number one guitar player. He was just one of many, many, many. But there, I guess just the cleverness of the melodies and the bends and stuff is what probably would, would you know, maybe bring to mind uh, Michael Shaker. But anyway, we're making a great record. Then I got another guy who's approached me about producing his record, so we're supposed to start that in June. Stoney and I are working on a new record uh, for Stoney. But I guess I'm just taking it one day at a time. Well, that's all. Every day's a gift now, right, Mike? Yeah, exactly. And then the future just really depends on finding enough good stuff. And if I think I'm able to do something for somebody that they can't do for themselves. When it gets down to producing and financing and stuff, that, that, that's, that's it actually gets down to, I mean, if somebody's got a bunch of money, they can make their own record and promote it. Yes. So that, that, that's the one thing about today. The biggest complaint I have about leveling the playing field and, and, and letting the gate down is that there are so many people out there, it's nice for them that they're making music. If you were a guitar player on Shrapnel or on Blues Bureau, you bought one of those records, you knew it was going to be solid. You know, it wasn't like... Exactly. Other labels, you, know, you don't know what you're going to get. Right, right. Your visions are great, Mike. You're you're just legendary, and I owe you everything. I owe you every. You taught me how to make a record. The formula I still use to this very day. What was it called? The Varney Challenge, right? <laughs> they did. Right. Like it was something along those lines, and it always seemed to work. If people come in and have their have their act together, and they can, you know, they can sing without you know losing their voice. And the energies, and the energies, always better that way. Yeah, yeah energy's always up. I love working with Mattel from Indigenous. That was one of the more recent guys. I and Prairie Sun, what a place! Muka and Prairie Sun, that was like the yeah. what a place, Mike. That's a, that's a legendary. Uh, Great times. We were lucky to be in it. Listen, Mike, we're out of time here. I just want to thank you for coming on Renegade Rock. Do you have any last words you'd like to say to our listeners before we take off? You told me before the show that you picked that grifter by Sonny Curtis. Right. That's going to be our last tune, right. I just wanted to say that, yeah, 
first kind of brought, brought that thing in, I worked with him on some uh, lyrics and melodies. We, we, it was like a co-write. I love what he brought to the riff, and it's a real 70s blues rock thing. The drummer's Jeff Tortora. Bassist is Barry Barnes. Uh, they're both very accomplished uh, musicians, and, and I, I dig the song because it reminds me of the music that I grew up on. Well, that's fantastic. And Vegas. Uh, Vegas is rocking. Everybody's living there. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, I bet. Well, I love Stony. I love all the stuff you're doing. The one last thing I was going to say is that it's, it's amazing that you've got these different projects together and that you have the drive. This, you kind of started a little bit later in the game making records. I sure did. You cut way up as fast guys that were making records 15 years before you. This is 38, record number 38 I'm starting. Yeah, come on. That, that, that's a legacy right there. Hey, great talking with you. Thank you, Michael, for coming on Renegade Rock. It was great talking to you. Awesome. Take care. I'll see you. Okay, take care, brother.
right, and that was Stony Curtis. And we were just talking to Michael Varney from Shrapnel Records. Thank you, Mike, for coming on Renegade Rock. This is Michael Nesco on the Rogue Radio Podcast Network. See you next week, kids. Yeah.